welcome to the latest episode of Connor Conversations, the HR podcast series that focuses on the hot topics that are impacting HR leaders today. I'm Cathy Donaldson, Director of People Development at Connor, and in today's episode, we're exploring the future of work and in particular, where we bring people and technology together. I'm going to share with you the conversation that I've had with Greg Vandergast, who is the Chief Information Security Officer at an organisation called Scout B. Interestingly, Greg started his career as one of the most notorious hackers of the 1990s and has been involved with some major incidents. But over the last two decades, he's been leading technical teams with management and leadership capability to transform information security. He's the keynote speaker. He's an author of, an, of a book called Rethinking InfoSec, which really gives an interesting perspective on what it is that makes information security work, or rather doesn't work in the modern day. He describes himself as a candid critic, so um, enjoy the podcast. There's some really interesting and some quite hard-hitting perspectives from an internal client of HR. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to my guest on the latest episode of Connor Conversations, which is entitled How to Drive the Future of Work with People and Technology. And I'm really delighted to welcome Greg Vandergast, who's somebody that I've worked with previously and who's got a fantastic perspective on what the future of workplace looks like, uh, both from technology and, and people perspective. So, Greg, what I'd love to do is if you could just give us a little bit of an introduction into who you are, your background, your interest in this space, and a bit more about what you currently do in the organization, that would be a great start. Sure. So, uh, hi, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm Greg Vandergast. I'm currently CISO of uh, Scoutby, GmbH. Uh, I'll tell you a bit more about how I started. Um, so, CISO, Chief Information Security Officer, I started out as a geeky teenage hacker and went from everything from a consultant to IT manager um, and kind of always trying to I think the thing that's defined my career is trying to find the underlying problem and it became less and less about tech and more and more about coordination organization culture leadership uh, and I guess people ultimately uh, and that's kind of what's brought me today um, chief information security at uh, Scout B like I mentioned so Scout B is a Berlin-based uh, but very global company that uh, basically facilitates automates coordinates um, supplier discovery and management. Uh, we have um, in, enormous customers, so we're talking uh, Audi, Siemens, Unilever, uh, a lot of companies with like 100 billion plus dollar market caps, uh, big um, manufacturing, automotive, aviation, uh, fast-moving consumer goods, and we basically help them uh, manage their supply chain. Um, yeah, and I head up the uh, the information security function there, but I also try to do as much as I can to improve the organizational health. Okay, so you got kind of two hats in terms of leading the leading that team, but also then looking at how do you improve the organization uh, strategically as part of your role. Yeah, because I I liked it's one thing that I like about security. It's not typically practiced like this. Typically, it's a very kind of narrow uh, tech silo. But to me, it's like, well, we instead of just trying to remediate things all the time, let's build things right. Let's get people working right. 
Uh, let's get people to understand um, and show the degree of care that's needed in everything we do. Um, and that means going far beyond just the, the IT department. It means talking to sales, talking to engineering, talking to marketing, talking to the executive team, uh, everything to know how things are going on and influencing the people and, and understanding each other, you know, the, how things fit together in, on the mission. Uh, so it's it's much much broader than uh, than just technology, and I I love solving problems. I love giving back. I love being altruistic. So whenever uh, whenever I can help anywhere, I usually try to do. Um, I don't always have the answers, but I tend to I try to stick my nose in. It's not always appreciated, but <laughs> hopefully there's more positive than uh, than negative coming out of that. And it's actually one of the things I love about Scalpy, um, and especially. Um, our, our two co-CEOs is just have endless conversations about organizational health and what we can do and how we can help different people and departments perform. Um, and it's, you know, less than 2% of my time spent speaking with management is actually about security. It's all about how, how can we structure things better? How can we be leaner? How can we communicate better? Uh, how can we increase quality? How can we make things, commercialize things uh, uh, more market focused? These are the things we talk about. It's very focused on business culture, people. Um, and there's basically just a, a level of trust that for the security stuff, I'll just get on and do my job. So so given that a lot of the, the audience listening to this podcast will have um, an HR background, um, a strategic HR um, objectives, if you like, they might be HR directors or um, chief people officers um, what would in your role as CISO you would be an internal customer if you like of the HR function so what is it from your perspective in terms of the people that HR needs to be doing to enable you to do your job? Um, I have a difficult relationship with HR uh, historically because I've, I've quite often struggled with the bureaucracy so that's definitely one thing is take care of the bureaucracy for me rather than giving me more of it. What do you mean bureaucracy? Give me an example. Uh, everything from HR policies to uh, hiring processes that can be very convoluted, um, that just make it harder for me to, to recruit people, harder for people to get through. Um, I think in, in tech and security, especially um, kind of the from the very beginning, like the, the automated hiring systems, mentioning like uh, ATS, um, it is, I've been doing this for 25 years. Um, I consider myself reasonably qualified. There is absolutely no way I could ever get a job through an HR department. I would be filtered out immediately. Okay. Because of the automation, the keywords, uh, everything, you know, you're basically looking for what some people who don't really understand what needs to be done and I don't just mean HR, by the way, um, or, you know, put a bunch of keywords and it's just, you're losing all the insights, you're losing all the candidates, you're looking at experience requirements without considering transferable skills uh, and without considering the fact that some of those transferable skills are in much more mature industries. So it's actually a really good thing that they only have three years in IT, but 10 years in something else. Um, so we're, we're missing the boat by a lot of this kind of, um, you know, bureaucracy, but also technological bureaucracy where, where a lot of potential is being filtered out. Um, that's my first pet peeve. Um, the second one is, well, 
let, let's talk about what I want from an HR function. I want an HR function to drive uh, really good company communication. And by communication, I mean open, honest uh, communication, lots of emotional safety, lots of uh, candor and transparency, um, because it tends to be quite formal and risk averse. We like to baby people. We like to sugarcoat news. Um, and ultimately, I think it just makes people distressful. I think if you, if you involve people in problems, they'll they'll appreciate the honesty and, and want to help fix the problems rather than actually feeling lied to a bit, which pushes them away, I think, psychologically and emotionally. So do you think then that, you know, part of the part of the, the, the challenge with HR is it's, it's seen as the compliance role, you know, adhere to policies role rather than doing the individual nuances around people? Yeah, uh, in many ways, I, mean, I think the running gag is uh, everyone's like, oh, I hope HR doesn't catch wind of that, uh, as opposed to HR being a positive force of appreciating, like, no, we know you're just kidding as a person, blah, 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 uh, and making making it a fun, open place to work. Uh, there, are, there are absolutely compliance um, requirements, and thank God that they're there to take care of them, because I really don't want to do that. Yeah. But yeah, it's kind of move, moving a bit more to that uh, human people focused approach rather than just managing resources. So we hear a lot about the employee experience and I think a lot of organizations are starting to reevaluate, you know, their people agenda. How do, I'm, I'm wondering from your perspective, have you seen or are you seeing more HR becoming more strategic so that they're operating across the organization in the same way that you are from a from a, a get making the business improvements? I, I have to, I mean, it's going to sound like I'm brown nosing here, but I have strongly disliked every HR function I've ever worked with until uh, Scalpy, because I think our, our CHRO is very much focused on creating openness, uh, you know, getting coaches in for the leadership team, um, just, just building, building trust, building the communication, fostering um, growth mindset, getting people to open up. Um, and I think that's that's fantastic. I've forgotten the question, sorry, Ken. <laughs> that's fine. The question was about what you'd seen in terms of where HR is becoming more strategic. And I think what you're saying is and, you've and not seen it until this role, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. and I, I think, yeah. I think leader, leadership is super important in HR uh, because I think I think a good CHRO or equivalent who can communicate with you know your senior management team and they're on board for that person to to push out these objectives and they recognize them as important and as valuable to the business is is tremendous. Um, I was recently reading uh, The Advantage by Patrick Lencioni. Yeah, and it's it's all about that. And at the, at the very first few pages of the book, he talks about I don't think he actually names the company, but it was, this is a company that had been around for a very long time, had constant growth, no matter what the market was doing, no matter what the trends, uh, always growing, growing, solid growth for 20 years, really good employee satisfaction, retention, everyone loved it. Um, and because they were practicing all these uh, principles of cultural health and um, the management team understood it and supported it wholeheartedly. Um, and it's not, you know, it's it's not mushy. It's 
it's kind of mushy, but it's real. It's not like this fake mushiness. And one of the very first things that Patrick mentions, he asked the CEO of this company, like, why do you think, like, is this the recipe to your success? And he's like, yes. Like, this is so simple. Why don't other companies do this? Yeah. And the CEO's answer was, I honestly think they think it's be it's beneath them. Because What's it is so simple. Them in, terms of, in terms of the people side. Yeah, just this simple openness, transparency, uh, emotional safety, you know, being on the same page, uh, trusting each other. Um, they just, I think a lot of companies just see that as wishy-washy and they want to be corporate and, and hard and push people and, mm. and it just doesn't work. Mm. And actually, are we seeing this now, aren't we, post-pandemic, post you know, with a mental health agenda and well-being and you know the whole employee experience and doing those connection calls which is just checking in to see how people are rather than managing their tasks necessarily yeah. has become much more of a strategic imperative and I think there's a real link between making sure you're doing the right thing by your people in order to improve organizational health to use your words. Yeah I think I think that's a I mean you know we've heard this we've been hearing it for a few years like who, who cares about presenteeism? Like, are they delivering what you expect them to deliver? Yeah. And if they're not, well, even if they are, maintain the relationship. But if they're not, ask why. Why? How can I support you? How can I get you to to deliver these things? Um, and a lot of organizations are still very focused on presenteeism. Yes, interesting. So you said it for many years. So this has been something that's been the case in organizations. Prior to the pandemic, pandemic was just put a spotlight over some of the way that we lead and manage. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was I was saying I think the, um, the like the discussion of like focusing on deliverables rather than on on actual output rather than how many hours someone sat in the chair at a desk uh, is a much better way of working. Um, and to me, you know, there's there's times where I'm personally I'm not feeling it, and I'll just go outside for an hour in the middle of the day and do something else, and I'll, I'll work later in the evening. There's nothing wrong with having that that flexibility. Yeah. So, Greg, you mentioned um, presenteeism, and this is something that's not been in the last couple of years. It's been something that we've been talking about for some time. I guess I've got two questions. One is, has COVID accelerated this or put a spotlight on this? And the second thing is, if that's the case, then is there something in terms of growth mindset that leaders need to adopt in terms of understanding it's not about input, it's about output? Um, I definitely like for me, it, it really started uh, becoming visible, certainly at the, at the start of the pandemic, because it was like, well, you people aren't clocking in and out of the office, so you need something to measure them by. Uh, and we all saw productivity numbers actually go up quite a bit at first. Um, and it's. Yeah, I mean, if people are doing the work, who cares? Um, and a lot of people working from home now, especially with the lockdown, it was quite a, a taxing period for mental health as well. People needed that ability to just kind of step away and and do things because they didn't have the distractions in the office. I mean, positive distractions, just being around people because we're wired to be around people, obviously. Um, yes, yeah, so I don't see any need for focus on um, on presenteeism. And this goes into the, the whole debate of like the four day work week. If people are just as productive in four days because they're less stretched out than they are in five days, then why make them sit in an hour uh, in an office for an extra eight hours a day? You know, let them let them be happier and they'll be more productive next week. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? The the whole concept of where did the where did that social construct come from that it Monday to, to Friday nine to five is the optimum is the optimum way 
to, to get the best out of people. So, and, and maybe all of this experimentation now means that we'll find a different way. I, I'm interested in, in your team, because I think you've got a distributed team, haven't you? And, and how, do, how do they work? And what do, you, what do you do as the manager of the leader of that function that enables you to get the best out of them? So um, where should we start? I'd like to start actually in the hiring process because I work obviously security and there's a lot of talk about this massive skills gap and how it's incredibly difficult to retain people. Um, I hired the entire team based off of two LinkedIn posts. Uh, it never went to HR, it never went to a recruiter um, and we came, you know, there was no quite an aggressive budget and that, that was fine. Um, there wasn't a whole lot in terms of interviews either. Uh, we're supposed to, at the time we had like a formalized, I think four or five stage interview. Uh, and I think to a couple of the, uh, the hires I had. One I met for a coffee, the rest I had a, one or two phone calls with. Very informal and it's, it's never a grilling. It's just like, look, this is the situation. This is the company. This is my vision. I need someone to do this and this as part of that vision and then just see how they are they enthusiastic about it. Can they do it? Um, one thing I noticed about job descriptions nowadays is they rarely describe the job. They describe all the requirements and the skills and the experience and the certification, but they don't actually give you a feel for what you'd be doing throughout the day and why. Um, and that kind of guarantees that you're not going to attract the right person. I find if you actually just give some flavor and describe what they'll actually be doing, you naturally draw in the right candidates. Um, but yeah, like it was literally a, a couple of phone calls with most of them, and then I sent them a video of me ticking the skip, 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 proceed to offer buttons on the HR system. Okay. <laughs> so they could see that you're a bit of a maverick in terms of processes, and that, that presumably is something that people are drawn into as well? Yeah, but I think I think it's, we, we had this great conversation like a month ago about like hiring experience and like how we, we need to hire experience, but I thought like, okay, what if you reword that as, hiring experiences and experience in hiring and it's like I have a good feeling about this person I'm I believe in it and then I'll, I'll make that call and I think as a leader that's what I'm paid for to make the decision in 10 minutes rather than spend three months of processes and hundreds of hours of company time and meetings and other stuff um, you know that's why I'm paid what I'm paid because I can make those decisions and save the company money um, so you got, so you got not, your team but the hit ratio is pretty good. So. so, so you, so you've got your team in place. You've got them um, um, in and functioning. So, so tell me about from a day-to-day -day management perspective. Where are they? How do they work? How do they operate? How do you, how are you getting the best from them? So the team is, um, the team is currently across three countries. Um, I think we there's seven of us. There's six nationalities. Um, quite diverse in every other way. Uh, a lot of them are, I think literally all except for one has like a full IT. Uh, only one has a full IT background. Everybody else has transferred into the industry from other things, which I'm quite happy with. Uh, and I think that makes them much more insightful. Uh, in terms of daily management, um, so we have a really good open relationship, the entire team. Now, I hired these people and they actually a month before their start date, they, I put them in touch with each other. They started talking and forming a relationship, a personal relationship between themselves. And a month before their start date, 
I got a picture of all of them together having drinks in London just to get to know each other. Completely their own initiative. Okay. I think this is why it's so important to, you know, have that openness, you know, because I, my, my management style is there's swearing, there's, you know, taking the bleep out of each other. Um, yesterday, one of them was quite shaken about the events in Ukraine and he apologized for it because he felt like he'd been a little bit harsh earlier. And I told him, I, I did seem you were a bit more of a, than, you, than you usually are. And that made him laugh. So we have this very kind of open, constant, like banter, work hard, play hard thing going. Um, and uh, I, I trust them implicitly to to do their work. And I, I that's really all there is to it. You know, we, we coordinate what needs to be done. Uh, I have one person who's a, I call it a program and quality manager who coordinates all the work. So we know where everyone's deliverables are, who's doing what. But other than that, we have constant communication. You know, we are on a, on a WhatsApp group outside of work hours. Uh, we have, you know, Slack channels. We're constantly back and, uh, bouncing stuff back and forth of each other. Um, I, I don't understand this concept of, you know, a monthly one-to-one -to, -one to catch up with your employees because for us it's it's a constant interaction. Um, you know, my job is to have the strategic vision of what needs to happen, to make them understand it, to give them big pieces of that, uh, and then I let them execute it because they. Do you get out of their way? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I've hired these people to do these specific things because they are better at doing those things than I am, which I think is a real problem for uh, middle managers. My my career stalled for years when I was at kind of a a middle management level because so many middle managers and even senior managers, but it's, it's especially pronounced in the middle management, middle to upper middle space. They will, they've not yet figured out that they need to hire people better themselves. Uh, and they're still threatened by the people that they hire. And you see this when in the career path, you have like very technical people and they'll get promoted because they're a better tech than the other person, but they're still techies. Yeah. And they feel threatened hiring someone who's a better tech than them, but you're not a tech anymore. You're a manager now. Yeah. So all these people are hired because they're better at what they do than I am. Like, I'm better at strategy. That's why I focus on the strategy. Yeah. I let them deal with that stuff. Yeah. So there's there's something about some kind of inherent rivalry potentially that people have, and, and not being able to um, see past um, some of those things in terms of what would make uh, a team thrive is is to is to hire the best people in to do those specific roles. Yeah, exactly. To not have you know not have those tensions, especially you know. I've had those tensions when your, your boss is practically trying to sabotage you because they, they don't want to be uh, outperformed. Um, you know, I've, I've had uh, one employment where uh, I worked for a big uh, managed service company um, three years ago um, and their client, who's a very large client, asked them to promote me. Uh, and they gave me a P4, my boss gave me a P45 the next day because she didn't want me promoted above her. Ah, oh, okay. So yeah, that's that and that's not. So the it's still, and that's a recent example. So that's and that still happens. Yeah. Yes, that's that's still prevalent, and that's going to and talk about organizational health. 
So is there something about, you know, going back to management leadership growth mindset? Is it about parking ego, parking that fear or the rivalry and starting to think about what's best for the organization and best for the team? And I, I like that you said parking because I, I think ego is actually um, shouldn't be something that's condemned. I think ego is actually quite important in terms of drive and motivation, but you do have to park it like at the end of the day you have to especially in the leadership position you are there for the good of the organization yeah and and some of these things are, are quite cold and what i really like about my current manager is he is someone who will appreciate you and, and trust you far more if you admit failures than just try to make everything look rosy so there's there's absolutely no concern about saying that i totally screwed this up um and yeah. that's why I appreciate the honesty. It happens, you know, let, let's fix it. So what needs to change? Because, you know, we talk about leadership and management a lot, given obviously what we do um, at, at Connor and what we're starting to see is an even bigger disconnect between what we think management and leadership is and was and what employees actually are saying they need and expect from their employer now and their managers now. So I'm wondering what your perspective is and what do you think needs to change? Um, I mean, I, it's hard to say on, on such a kind of wide scale, um, but there, there is definitely that fairly simple old adage of, you know, you always want to work, work for a good boss, not a good company. Yeah. You work in a great, you know, highly rated company, but have a terrible manager and your, your experience at that, highly rated great company is going to be terrible because of your manager whereas you can have work in a terrible or very lackluster organization and have a manager that cares about you that that shields you from the bs um, where you're going to have a much more positive uh, and also growth filled uh, time there um, so i think that the key is to well make every manager one of those good managers how, how do you do that on a wide scale? Yeah, and it's defining what good, no, it's defining what great looks like. What does great management look like in this organization at this time to get the best out of people? Okay, so in terms of that feels like a bit of a cultural transformation, what are your views and perspectives on what the cultural shift that then needs to happen? It's, it's very, very tricky. Um, I think to go from uh, an organization where you maybe had some toxicity, you didn't have the openness. Um, and I think what I've learned more in recent years, and this is a little bit, I, I like to be really optimistic about people. And I believe like everyone can change, everyone can adapt, everyone can grow. Um, but from a business context, you don't always have time to do that. Um, and I've seen a couple of companies who just really, and, and sometimes it's, it's absolutely nothing to nothing bad about the individuals, but they're just a poor fit because, because of a lack of previous leadership or whatever. Um, and they're no longer the right fit for the organizations. You just have to, to let them go. I mean, I was consulting for another company last year and it's just like to let go two thirds of the management team. They just weren't the right fit. Um, that that's one. Um, the other part is 
you have to create. I mean, we've talked about it already. You have to create an open culture where people trust each other, where people have the same goal, same mission, understand how they fit and try to collaborate. So it's not like, you know, you, you get away from these behaviors where you try to pawn work off of other departments or you, uh, how many times have I seen, you know, one department try not to do something or do things in a way where, well, it's not their problem anymore, so the other department will do it. But for the other department to solve it, it's going to cost five times as much, um, you know, just to, so it doesn't impact their budget. Well, you're not really thinking of the overall health of the company. Um, so that's the kind of culture that you, you need to stamp out. Um, once it's set in, it can be very difficult to get rid of, which is when you sometimes have to get rid of people. Um, but otherwise, I think you need to go with um, radical candor, basically, because you're you're either going to get people uh, to start trusting you and start working together, or you are going to completely alienate them and they're just going to get really peeved off by it, which is fine, because then those will put, people will leave and you will replace them yeah. with, with better fits. Yeah, yeah. So there's something there for, isn't it, about the culture is what are the behaviours? Culture isn't what you say it is. Culture is about all of those behaviours that are endemic in an organisation and where leaders role model those behaviours and, and, and the values in the, of the organisation dictates the culture. Yeah, I th you know, it's 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 imbued in, in all those individuals, uh, ultimately. Uh, so the idea is to bring out the best in those individuals if you can. Yeah. If it's not there, well, that's that's when people have to go. Uh, but you know, change is not necessarily a bad thing. You know, there may be other organizations where those people are a great fit. Yeah. Uh, we we recently had someone uh, leave us, very talented, but he was frustrated because it just wasn't the right kind of organization. And he found a new role somewhere else. And he's like, you know what? That type of company actually makes so much more uh, more sense. Uh, and he's left me in a bit of a pickle. Uh, but he, you know, he's asked to, to leave early. But yeah, you know, I'm super happy for him. Yeah. And we'll make it work. He's, you know, he's happy to be moving on. He's sad to be leaving, but he's also happy to be moving on, which makes like a very kind of smooth departure. You know, he's, he's happy, he's collaborative. Um, everyone leaves in, in good spirits and it, it'll allow him to to grow and to, to give this other company more value than, than I think we could have extracted from him. Um, and it'll allow us to kind of change things that are maybe a better fit to what the company's become. So if I can just you know, go go so during all of the uh, this conversation to, to back to the future of work in terms of people and technology, if we manage to um, create organisations that are driven with um, trust and emotional and psychological safety and all of the things that you talked about and, and good and great leadership, what do you think? What do you think the opportunity is for organisations, both from a people and a technology perspective? Well, I think, uh, you know, just to touch on what we spoke of, I think, off air was there's all this talk about hybrid working and remote working and, and how difficult it is. But I don't think that's, yeah, some things are difficult. Uh, you know, there are conversations where I really need to break through to someone and it would be easier for me to go into the office and just grab that person into a room and have a real heart to heart with them and give them a hug afterwards. Um, that's obviously easier to do in person. Um, but for the rest of it, it's, you know, the, the, the remoteness, the technology is only highlighting that, that lack of uh, openness uh, and trust 
but it was it was never there. So the technology is just uh, showcasing it really. Um, back to your original question. I think there's tremendous uh, potential in the, the future of work. Again, if we focus on actual work rather than hours or location, yeah. then people can be happier in their work. They can have more balanced lives. Uh, they tend to be more productive. Uh, your talent pool opens up enormously. Um, I mean, what's not to so like? So there's many opportunities, I, I think, yeah. And getting hybrid right, well, not necessarily getting it right, but embracing it, embracing the opportunities rather than the challenges. We know that it's presenting lots of challenges, but, you know, thinking, I love that concept, thinking about it, not in terms of hours and location, but in terms of as an output um, can really start to then shape and change the way we think about who we engage and how we engage them. And, and in fact, where they where they might be in the world, to get yeah. the best talent in. Yeah, and we, we we talk about diversity as well, and it's like, well, the world's a lot more diverse than you are locally, so why not? Yeah. So if we just wrap up then, Greg, what would be the top tips that you would give our audience in terms of these are the core things that we absolutely need to get right to in order in order to embrace people and technology to drive the future of work? Right. So I think what HR departments can do strategically is foster that leadership slash growth mindset in the organization. Um, that is the single biggest, most transformative force you can have. Um, once you, and it's it's kind of funny because the some of the traditional roles of HR, of the hiring process, um, you'll actually make those go away because your individual leaders will be able to better recognize talent, better attract talent, better retain talent. Um, you won't need financial incentives and incentive plans and, you know, satisfaction surveys. And yeah, great, great to do that, especially if you're a larger scale organization. But they're basically there to check that the manager is applying the leadership skills. Uh, there's no point in doing it if you haven't given that manager the leadership skills in the first place. Um, Go back, like pull back the um, the ATS systems that we use for hiring. Just do my head in. Go go back to like a more a more human approach to to hiring. And a simple thing: describe the jobs in your job listings. Uh, you will you will you will not get a million random resumes. You will get people applying for that specific job. So you'll have far less stuff to filter. Instead of we have this tendency, especially in IT and security, most of all, we try to fix everything with a technical problem instead of addressing, well, why is this happening in the first place? Why do we have so many resumes? It's cool because our, our JDs are crap. Um, so that's the other thing. And to to really be genuine, I've seen so many HR departments just do survey after survey uh, or you know communicate with you know, these automated platforms. Uh, and then especially large organizations and it's like, oh, well, you know, productivity is down or retention is down or this is that. And then they, they just start launching all these surveys and they think they're being quite clever. But really, people end up filling these surveys and the filling in of the survey makes them realize how disconnected HR is with the rest of the organization. So really don't do that and, and promote more. Um, more open, honest communication, you know, do exit interviews, make people feel really comfortable with that. Tell them like, what's what's the issue? 
and and back to that grown mindset you know part of growth mindset is is accepting negative uh, criticism um, and doing something with it and, and yeah not being yeah. about it and being open yeah. about it and yeah. uh even you know sometimes people have legitimate i had um i was commenting someone who did an interview yesterday and it was clear talking to both parties the interviewer and the interviewee that the interviewee maybe didn't address the interviewer correctly had made some assumptions and so the interviewer after was like well he might have been a good candidate then but he he didn't approach it that way um and became sort of like rightfully defensive like it wasn't my fault it was the candidate that didn't approach it that way and it's like great forget about that candidate water under the bridge but next time think how can i make sure that this situation isn't happening how can i open that door in case this person's operating under this assumption so that they know and they I direct them to ask me the right question to showcase their talent. Um, so it's, it's asking, even if it's not your fault that the situation went awry, it's, it's asking yourself, what can I do more so that other people don't make the same mistake, even though it's their mistake? Um, and I think, I think that's how you grow. That's how you, you start seeing potential that you might be, be missing. Um, and yeah, I, th I think just um, that was just one specific example that came to mind. But I think if you instill the, the growth mindset, you instill that mentality of people being altruistic, wanting to do the best, wanting to connect to people, um, you make it less of a bureaucracy and more of a almost a family working towards a mission. And you, you really bring out the, um, the drive and motivation in people. I remember when I wrote my book a few times, a few years ago, it was... Um, was researching this and the difference between a motivated and unmotivated employee is 500%. And motivation is not about you know, structure and surveys and this and that. It's about how happy they are. So again, it sounds, it sounds mushy, but there's a huge bottom line impact. There's, so employee engagement. So I've lost count of like how many times I've, I've done with, you know, a team of five people what, what, or, or the orgs need 15, 20 people to do. Just because they're really motivated. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And people can achieve if they're if they're feeling engaged. So yeah. what was the book? What was the book? So you've mentioned. So I'm going to pick, and you've just reminded me. So I'm going to go back to you talked about Patrick Lencioni. The advantage was the book. Patrick yeah. Lencioni is the five dysfunctions of a team, yeah. and the yeah. bottom layer is all about trust. So I'd be really interested to read the advantage because I've not read that. What was your book? Tell me about your book. Mine is uh, Rethinking Infosec, which is the Hopefully, at least, well, there's no, there's nothing technical about it at all, but it's it's basically just a series of thoughts of uh, why we're doing things incorrectly and uh, very reactively in InfoSec rather than addressing uh, core problems. Um, but I think that the general mindset of that applies to other things as well. Greg, thank you so much for joining us today on Connor Conversations. It's been brilliant to hear your perspectives on, on HR and the future of work with people and technology in mind. Thank you for your time. It's been a huge pleasure. Thanks for having me.